0: May God bless you as you watch this week's message.
1: lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay at your feet, I sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you.
0: With you uh, on this topic of revival, revival is God's agenda for His people, and it's very interesting because this morning we got to our prayer room at eight forty-five as we normally do every Sunday, and Jim brought a thought about guess what, revival. Like okay, I think I heard Madison talk about revival. And so I know one thing, that God has something in store for us. Let me start with the scripture, the text that we have for today. is found in Psalm 85, Psalm 85, and we're going <clears> to <throat> start at verse 1. And turn your Bibles to Psalm 85 and verse 1. And let's read it together. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, O God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God, the Lord, will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints. But let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near <clears throat> those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks righteousness looks down from the heaven. <clears throat> the Lord will indeed. Give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Father, I ask you today that you will allow us to hear your voice, open our hearts to receive your word, and bless every word that comes from my mouth. Lord, may I be a vessel that communicates your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The idea of Psalm 85 is rooted in the concept of restoration and what results from when God begins his process of restoration in us. You see, God's desire is to bless his people. God's desire is to return us to his purpose and design for us. And so he does it with this idea of revival and restoration. Now, let me make some premises clear to us. First of all, restoration or revival is God's heart and God's agenda for His people and for His church today. And I want to emphasize the word today. Now, we've all read stories, heard of stories in the past of how people have been touched by God, healed, saved, delivered, set free, great testimonies. But is that enough for you? Is that enough for us to just read about great things that God does in history books? I don't think so. It's not enough for me. So let me read something that will clarify that con- context or that concept. In Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2, it has a powerful, powerful scripture. and It says this, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. You know what? <clears throat> we don't take anything away from things that have happened in the past. We don't want to de-emphasize what has taken place in the past. But you know what? There's a little something more than we need. Listen to the verse. Repeat them in our day. Can you say amen to that? Come on. Repeat them in our day. Say it with me. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Man, I tell you, we could just camp on this verse alone for a long time. Because you know what? We, unfortunately, have gotten so settled and satisfied with the things that we have read about, heard about, talked about, that somebody else has talked to us about in the past. But we have not pushed forward to say, God, that was great for them, but I need something fresh today. God, that was awesome that I read the stories of Frank Bartlett and, and others that just sought the Lord during the old days of revival. But I need something today. It's great to hear uh, John Whitefield and, and, and John Wesley and so many others that gave their lives for revival. But I want something fresh today. Amen. I believe God's revival is that we, or sorry, God's desire is that we pray for revival, that we pray for restoration in these, the last days. We just finished a series on the signs of the end of the age. And we mentioned that one of those signs is the fact that God is going to bring salvation to the earth. The gospel message of the kingdom is going to be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. And in one of those weeks, we had. Uh, Walton that preached on revival, the, the fire fall. We need the fire of God to fall because that is another one of those things that will happen in the last days. That is us, guys. We are living in the last days and we need God to act on our behalf. So let me define what we're talking about here. What is revival? Revival is the act of reviving. To reanimate, to recover from a state of depression to a state of activity. I'm going to repeat that last part. It's to recover from a state of depression to a state of activity. Spiritual revival occurs when a number of people, typically a large number of people, who have been spiritually dead or indifferent to spiritual considerations simultaneously or in quick succession become alive to the importance of spiritual things. We settle so much that we wait and wait and wait and we don't question and we don't ask and we don't do anything about it. And so death, spiritual death, begins to settle very, very quietly and softly. And we don't even know it. When revival comes, it alters the state of our belief system. It changes the way That we see both spiritual realities as well as our regular day-to-day realities and our moral realities. When revival comes, we live and we act in a state of zeal and joy for the Lord. Come on, somebody. I need some witnesses in here. You know what? We act like we know what we're talking about. Like we really do live in zeal and joy for God. Because you know what? God is doing something that's deep inside our spirit. It's not just goosebumps. It's not just great programs. It's something deeper that God is doing. Revival is typically accompanied by a desire to know God, to pray more, to feed on His Word. It becomes the source of everything. God becomes the source of everything that we say and do. That is revival. When revival comes, it also brings a renewed sense of the holiness of God and a repulsion towards sin. And we have gotten so accustomed to a culture and a society that is so permissive, that it's okay. A lot of the things that we say and do and hear and act upon, they're just, they've become okay. They've become the norm. But God is saying it's enough. There has to be a sense in which we begin to sense the holiness of God in our midst, the fear of the Lord in our midst, and we act like it. It's exciting to talk about revival, isn't it? It brings a great joy to experience God in powerful ways. It's amazing. But revival will make us uncomfortable. I can assure you. Revival will make us feel uncomfortable. It will cause cause you to squirm in your seat and feel very unsettled. So let me ask you a question. How many of you want to sell revival? In order to experience revival, there are some things that God has to get to in us first and foremost. Those changes oftentimes will cause many believers to shirk away and desire status quo Christianity rather than pressing through and say, God, I want you more than my comfortability. Let me tell you, God is very direct. He doesn't mince words, is not going to Soften his message to make us feel comfortable. I've said it before. God is not interested in our comfort. Is interested in our transformation. He's not interested in making us feel the warm fuzzies as we go to church and we just lift our hands and we're just so excited. We've heard you know great songs and and people that have encouraged us and and we. Hear a little message, you know, a little friend of, a friend of mine, an evangelist used to say, we're so content to go to church and we hear little sermonettes that makes little Christianettes and we go home and we forget about it all and we live our lives the same way as we always have. But God is interested in something deeper in us. So what are some of the key components and things that will happen as we begin to believe God? to move in our midst. And what are our responsibilities as we move forward in a desire to see God move in revival? Number one, revival. And actually, you know what? Before I go to number one, let me say this. You can keep it up there. If you are not a a, a fan of history, you need to become. I don't want to give you the impression that What has happened in the past is not good. It should not serve as an example for us. On the contrary, go back and see and read what God has done in the old days. I'm not going to read a couple of of, uh, just short uh, examples at the end that will give you an idea of what happens in revival. But you know what? Become a student of history. And if you want to know more about books, about revival and stuff, come and see us. Uh, I'm sure Walton has got a, uh, a truckload of, of in, in, inspirations. Sam and Jim, I'm sure, have others. I mean, we can give you all the information that you need in order to deepen your sense of knowledge of what happens in the days when revival comes, all right? <clears throat> so number one, revival never comes unless there is a burning desire in our hearts for revival. It's just not going to happen unless we have that desire. You know, we need Holy Spirit to spark a fire in us that can't be quenched. We need to become passionate about God, passionate for God, and passionate for what revival means in our hearts. We need to be passionate. We, gotta, we have to develop a sense of, That goes past the gimmicks of church life and church traditions. We've we've become so used to do's and don'ts. Do this and you'll do great. Don't do that and you'll be fine. And so we focus on the, mostly, unfortunately, we focus on a lot of don't. Don't do this. Live this way. Don't do that. Don't do the other. Rather than saying, you know what? Get on your knees. Pray more. Ask God to bless you. Ask God to speak to you. Ask Him to reveal His heart to you. Read the Word. Feed on the Word. Those are some of the things that we have got to become more passionate about. Not a list of do's and don'ts. You know what lists list of do's and don'ts do? They set religious parameters for us. And you know what? Religiosity or a religious spirit does not work. It does not work. When revival came to Azusa Street, and you're probably wondering what in the world is Azusa Street, well, that's one of those books you need to get for yourself. Get the book called Azusa Street by Frank Bartlett, and i will tell you what happened at the turn of the century. When revival came to Azusa Street, as well as many other revivals throughout history, a few simple people, developed a burning desire for God and for spiritual reality. Now, I'm not sure that they even knew themselves what they wanted. But they knew one thing. They sought God. They prayed and they went after God. And you know what? God met them. God touched them. And in fact, I believe that God rocked them. Rocked their world so deeply by the Holy Spirit, and it caused them to have a hunger for more. Because when they got blessed one night, they came back the next night and they wanted more, and then they wanted more, and then people started hearing the rumble and and the things that were happening outside, and they wanted more. That is what happens when revival comes. They were tired of traditions, they were tired of rituals of church regular rudiments of church life. They were tired of that. The reason why, friends, we press and we talk about revival is because we've experienced the goodness of God, the presence of God, the glory of God. I don't know where you are at, what you've experienced in your life, but I want you to know that I have experienced the presence of God that almost was like terrifying presence. You know what I'm talking about? When God comes in His glory and you're just like literally quicking in your boots. You know what I'm talking about, Robert? I see you're nodding your head. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one of my uh, professors at college. He was a professor of Pentecostal distinctives. And uh, he was telling us about revival and sharing when God comes upon his people. He said, he said, one day, I was just a teenager. The glory of God came down so powerfully, I literally hid under a chair because I was terrified. And yet I knew that God was there. God was on the scene. Are you tired of traditions and church as usual and religious activities? I can't stand it. I really can't. You know, if, if you're coming to this church for a polished message and, and a preacher that's going to wow you with, with tweetable quotes, uh, you're probably coming to the wrong church. I'll be honest, I'm not that good. But if you really desire to see God move, would you please join us? That's all I want to say. Would you join us? In seeking God for more of what He has. Because you know what? I'm tired of regular church and tradition. I want to experience God in my day. Before I die, I want to see God move. I want to see sick people being totally healed. Not without, oh, you know what? Go home and then check and maybe, you know, if it's okay. And they, they feel better when they're at church and then they go home and... And, the, you know, the pain comes back. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God miraculously making tumors disappear and doing things that just cannot be explained. That is the God that we serve. And that is the God that I want to experience in my day. Yeah. Amen. Jesus. We've got to have a burning desire for God. The challenge that we have today is that our attitude toward revival has changed, especially in this day in which we live. And the issues are both internal and external, internal to the level that the level of our desire and the level of our seeking after God is not the same as it used to be. Life has become a lot more complicated That's why it was a little simpler back in the older days because there was less questioning and there was more trusting. Today we do a lot more I trust that. Is that really God? I mean, it's not part of my church. I better not go. Rather than saying, wow, God, what do you want to do? What are you doing? What are you doing? When the cloud moves, The people of God move with a cloud. Today, we kind of like get stuck in our own rut and comfort spiritually. And we don't budge. And we just say, well, I'm just comfortable there. No, what we need is a burning desire for God. We need a burning desire for God. Friends, desire and passion for God will only increase when we are surrendered to him. When we surrender to God in humility, and we say, God, I want more of you, and we stop thinking about ourselves, and we start thinking more about what God wants to do, that is when God is going to bless your life. And I'm sorry to tell you, you know what? Sometimes you got to make a sacrifice. That means that if you go into your office at 8 o'clock, and you need two hours to prep yourself, then you need to wake up an extra 30 minutes before say, wow, I need to get up at 5.30. Yeah, well, if that's 30 minutes before, that would be 5.30 if you start work at 8 o'clock, right? And you need two hours. And if you need 30 minutes, yeah, you can wake up at 7 o'clock. That's fine. But you know what? We have got to put ourselves secondary and God primary in our lives and give something. It's got to cost us something. But there's also external pressures because we already have everything that we need. And in so many cases, we also have everything that we want. So why should we go hard after God? I mean, like, tell me why. I'm comfortable. I got what I need. I got what I want. I'm like, mm. do I need to get up and go to prayer at 30 in the morning on a Wednesday morning? Are you out of your mind, especially in the winter? It's dark and cold and oftentimes it's raining and all the people that come to 6.30 on Wednesday morning say amen. (laughs) I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. We're here. You know what? My wife and I love to be here. We don't have to be here and we certainly should not not be here because we're the pastors of the church. No, we love to pray. We love to be here. That's why we do it. So we have external pressures. Also because we have come to uh, become, uh, we've come to rely on more sophistications in the church. Let's talk about it plainly. We want to bridge the gap of church life to this generation. And so we have done things to make people feel comfortable. But we want you to feel comfortable. We shouldn't, I mean, mentioning the Holy Spirit and praying in the Spirit in our services, that's just a little too much. That might scare some people off. Since when has it ever been your job and mine to convince people and convict people of sin, justice, and judgment? Who does that? The very Holy Spirit that we have relegated to some back room somewhere where nobody else is listening to us praying. No one is seeing that we're raising our hands and we're getting excited about God. But we have like, okay, Holy Spirit, you go back there with all the fanatics and all the crazies. And then on Sunday morning, we're going to try to present a welcoming church. And oh, you know what? That is a, that's just ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. That's all it is. I'm just going to call it what it is. Because you know what? God is still in charge of His church. Jesus is the cornerstone of His church. And He said, when I go, I'm going to send you the comforter so that He will guide you and lead you in all things. And the comforter is the Holy Spirit. Why is it that we have relegated the Holy Spirit into the back room of prayer? It cannot be. We have got to be awakened to that reality, friends. Now, God said, my ways are not your ways. So anytime you think of something that should make people feel comfortable, do the opposite. Anytime that you think that that God will be pleased with your mindset, go the other way. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a nerd, tech nerdy a little bit, and I love technology, but you know what? Technology will not usher revival. Our senses will be stirred, no doubt, but our hearts need to be changed, and in order for our hearts to be changed, we need a power that's deeper than the power of technology, and that's the power of God. We need anointed methods that are soaked in prayer to bring people to God. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. Mm. And he chose things that are powerless To shame those who are powerful. Do the opposite. Don't go with your thoughts and your ideas. Go with God's thoughts. Let me say also this that although I believe that Sunday church is not the only thing and it's not enough, it's not enough. We can't stop on Sunday. We have to learn to pray and seek His face and read His Word and practice walking in the Spirit on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday and then back on Sunday and then repeat it again and again. It has to become part of our lives. It is true that church is not the end all. But the enemy, I believe, has used the season to isolate believers from each other. The goal that the devil has had all along was to keep us away from the power of unity, the power that we sense when we come together and we join our hearts together and we seek God together and we go for what God has for us. Don't fall for a church. Don't fall for it. Online services will never replace the power of community, of corporate experience that we can experience and we can feel together. Having a burning desire to pursue God will not happen when you're watching a, 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 a message on TV. I'm telling you right now. Because we did it at first like everybody else did. When we closed the church, we just started watching YouTube Christianity. I couldn't worship like I worship when I'm here. It it, Honestly, isn't that weird? Like you're in your living room and you're like, oh, Jesus, I love you. Like who's watching me? It's It's just strange. It's not the same. I'm not saying that it's impossible. I'm just telling you that there's something very unique when we come together. All aspects of Christian life and Christian living are best experienced when we're together. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 clearly says, let's not neglect assembling, coming together, especially as we see the day approaching. And we are seeing the day approach. So we have got to put ourselves aside and start thinking of God. And if if I can be honest, We need you here. You need us. We need you. We need each other. So let's not neglect. And let's come together and seek God. And let's have that burning passion. Just consume us with desire for God. Number two, revival can be painful, but it's profitable. There's a price to pay if we desire to see God move in power. Restoring anything can be costly, and it can be messy. I remember many, many years ago, probably about 30 years ago, I would say, Lois bought a couple of these little chairs, wooden chairs. They were solid, solid chairs. But, you know, some of the legs needed to, have to be glued again and maybe tacked with a nail. And, and so she said, I think it would be great. We had our two girls at the time. It'll be great. They'll probably enjoy those these little tiny chairs. And I said, sure. So I went about it and started sanding them and filling the cracks and sanding and, and then sanding again. I started with a thick grit, you know, grit. And then I went to finer grit until that. Those chairs were so smooth. I mean, perfectly smooth. I glued the legs, tacked some of them that just needed a little exercise. You know what? Let me tell you something. I painted those things probably like, I don't know, five coats. I mean, it is now over 30 years. We still have them. They still look amazing. The paint is not chipped. You know why? Because I took time to do what needed to be done to restore those chairs. If you want to restore and renovate a house, and believe me, I know a little bit about that right now, <laughs> it takes a lot of moving parts. It takes a lot of people to go through that. You need to have your engineers and your designers, your carpenters and your plumbers, your painters, your electrician, expert people that know what they're doing. By the way, our kitchen is almost finished. Woo! Woo! Thank you, Jesus. You know what? In order for revival to take place... God has to do the same thing in us. He's got to sand. He's got to tack some things. He's got to chip away, hammer, saw out, cut out, unclog, unclog some pipes, unclog some wells, Jim. Right? He's got to do a lot of work that we don't like To go through. An inside out transformation can be a messy affair because it's gotta, God's gotta work at all those areas of our lives. This is where we typically put up a fight with God. We try to negotiate our terms of agreement with God. Okay, God, you can go here, but not there. Okay, just uh, stay out of that area of my life. Don't touch. My friends, uh, you know, don't touch my this habit. But you, you know, you want me to give you this? I, I'll be happy to stop cussing. Uh, you know, I, I won't do drugs anymore, God. I I, I promise. We choose, we select, we de- define our terms of agreements with God, but that's not the way it works. And you see, we get very excited when we see the. You know, I remember when the the the. Uh, uh, the company, the contractor gave us a blueprint for our new kitchen. I was so excited. I mean, like Lois and I were like, wow, that's going to be our new kitchen? That's going to be amazing. You know I mean? It's like, okay, right now it looks terrible. Water is just damaged and destroyed everything. But you know what? Things are going to look beautiful when they're done. Wow, look at this beautiful blueprint. The finished product right before us. But then the work starts, or maybe it doesn't start. And when the work starts, you go through the pain of having to deal with all of that. We have sand in every crevice that you can think of. Dust everywhere. Even with covering. It happens. Oh, we get so excited. But the pain that we have to undergo the process of restoration and the process of revival... It's hard. And oftentimes, we don't want to dish out the money for the renovations either. My wife is always reminding me, hey, we are gone that far. <laughs> What's a little extra? We've got to check our lives, guys. Maybe some relationships have to die. Maybe some connections that have drawn us away from God have got to go. Maybe some people, in bring, instead of bringing you higher in the Lord, bring you down. You've got to know and determine who are the people in your life that need to be there and who's got to go. I know this is not easy to hear, but it's true. And I want to read you something that is going to highlight this point in Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 1 through 4. It's a powerful scripture. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from simple people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Makes sense, doesn't it? But listen to this. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. We live a life of comfort. We choose our terms of agreement with God. But the fact of the matter is that we have not yet given our lives for what the struggle of sin represents. That may not necessarily be your physical life, but your spiritual life, right? Things in your life, that have to die. What things in your life have to die. What things are holding you back. From receiving and achieving. The purposes of God in their fullness. Let's stop being. Kesara, Christians. And just walk with the Lord. I was preparing this. I felt the Lord say this. And this is a, a Remah word for all of us. I felt the Lord saying, stop living, stop loving the world, living in a state of compromise. It's time to rise up and allow me to take you through the process of restoration, renovation, renewal, and revival. It's time to leave Egypt behind and embrace the promised land. It's time for a spiritual refreshment, the likes of which you've never experienced before. That is what God wants to do in us. Let me conclude with this third item. Revival starts when the Holy Spirit brings back to brings us back to our first love. You know, as I was thinking of the first love the typical question that we ask is, well, do you remember when you first accepted Jesus, all that passion and desire that you had? Do you remember that? That was so amazing, right? But you know what? The reality is that things have slightly changed in this day. And so I was thinking more of a, perhaps a more appropriate question. And let me ask it this way. Do you remember your first date to the man or the woman that you are married to? you remember that first date? you remember that joy, that, that passion that you felt for that man, that woman that was next to you? We've got to get back to that kind of love, that kind of passion. Being lovesick for Jesus. Allowing nothing to replace that passion and that desire. You know, when I used to travel on business all the time, I couldn't wait to come home. I count the hours. I'm getting on a plane. I'm going home. Lord's is going to come and get me. And then it was just a little hard for her to come and get me. And so I Uber home. And I, you know, on the way home, we're like texting each other. And when I, you know, I go home and I'm just like so excited to see her. And she's excited to see me most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> we were excited to see each other. You know what? That is that same passion and love and desire that we've got to have for God. Sin and compromise will drain us of our spiritual energy and they will deter us from pursuing revival and a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit for our lives. That's why we have to go back to our first love. John Wesley said this, Give me 100 men and I will add women. Give me 100 men or women who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God and I will shake the world. A hundred people. That's all that God desires. it's all that God needs. You know what? God only needs you and He needs me. Revival is not a topic of the past only. Something to read about in books. Revival must be a reality today. Programs, they're great. They will aid the church toward church growth. They're great. But they will not usher in revival in our day. We need to develop a desire and a hunger and a thirst for God that will propel us as a church to experience the presence, the power, and the glory of God above all. A lady once asked Billy Sunday, Why do you keep having revivals? When it doesn't last. You know what his answer was? He answered her with a question. He asked her, Why do you keep taking baths? James Packer, in his book, Your Father Loves You, wrote this Revival is the visitation of God which brings to life. Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. Thence springs a vivid sense of sin and a profound exercise of heart in repentance, praise, love, and an evangelistic outflow. Each revival movement has had its own distinctive features, but the pattern is the same every time. First, God comes. On New Year's Eve, 1739, John Wesley, George Whitefield, and some of their friends held what they called a love feast, which became a watch night of prayer to see the New Year in. At about 3 a.m., Wesley wrote, The power of God came mightily upon us, in so much that many cried for exceeding joy, and many fell to the ground. Revival always begins with a restoration of the sense of the closeness to the Holy One. Second, the gospel is loved as never before. The sense of God's nearness creates an overwhelming awareness of one's own sin and sinfulness. And so the power of the cleansing blood of Christ is greatly appreciated. David, would you come? Then repentance deepens. Listen to this. In the Ulster Revival of 1920, the shipyard workers brought so many stolen tools that new sheds had to be built to house the recovered property. Repentance results in restitution. Finally, the spirit works fast. Godliness multiplies. Christians mature and converts appear. I want to experience that. I'm not satisfied with what we have. I want more. I know I can't convince you to want more. I can only pray that God will just give you a desire that goes further Than your imagination, that is deeper than what you've experienced before, and propels you into seeking and searching for more. Would you stand with me? Hey, thank you for watching the Sermon of the Week. We pray that you were blessed by it and you felt prompted to act upon what the Spirit of God was saying to you. If you live in the Charlotte area, we would love for you to come and worship with us at one of our weekend gatherings. That way you can find out more about our church family and what we value most. We encourage you also to give to our ministry so that we might continue spreading the gospel of Jesus to our city and throughout the world. To do so, you simply go to missioncommunity.cc, click on the Give button, and the rest is simple. Lastly, I would encourage you to check out the remaining content on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe That way you will receive all of the reminders for fresh content that we put out. Have a wonderful rest of your day. May God bless you and thank you again for watching this week's message.